Good morning, everyone. Take your Bible, please. Turn with me to the book of Philippians, chapter 1, as we continue in our preaching verse by verse through the book of Philippians today. We're starting at verse number 7, since we ended at verse 6 last week. We'll go from 7 to 11 today, Lord willing. And uh, let me read it, then we'll pray. Philippians 1, verse 7. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. This I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Lord God, thank you for your word. Father, bless this message. Anoint me, Lord, to present it the way you want. Lord, let it, let it settle in people's hearts and souls and minds. And Lord, just thinking about this morning's service, there are so many people coming up to receive you or to renew their covenant with you. May this message speak volumes to their hearts as well as everyone else's. But Lord, we, we just, I just want to single them out in the sense that they were bold enough to say yes. So Lord, let this word be extra meaningful, really for all of us, but for those in particular that made a recommitment or accepted you for the first time today. Lord, bless those on the live stream. Bless those that will hear this message later in the week or sometime in the future. Let it bear good fruit for the kingdom of God. We thank you and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So we're continuing with uh, our verse-by-verse study. Uh, Paul, as we talked about last week, is now in prison in Rome. The year is about 60, 62 A.D. Uh, He's in prison. Timothy, his protege, is visiting with him. And in verse number 1, Paul and Timothy are writing this epistle to the Philippians. Uh, Paul was saved on the road to Damascus, radically transformed. And uh, Timothy was someone he led to the Lord. He mentored and sent him out in his own ministry. And uh, here they are kind of ministering together through this epistle. Uh, We looked at last week, verses 1 through 6, that message was called thankful. And there were several things we are to be thankful for. Uh, One thing is that we're bond servants of Jesus Christ, not of somebody else or something else. Can I get an amen right there? That's a big one. That's a big one. Uh, We're thankful for the saints of God. We're thankful for the fellowship in the gospel. Uh, We're thankful for people who pray for us. We're thankful for the second coming of Jesus, verse number 6. He's faithful to do this work until he comes back again. So today we're continuing with this passage where Paul is continuing to be positive and loving and speaking wonderful words over the church of of the Philippians. Uh, And this passage, or this chapter actually, sets a standard to follow. That there should be love and respect among the people who are fellowshipping and attending a church. Uh, There should be uh, opportunities to get to know people and love people, bond with people. Um, And with that, there's great blessing. However, last week I mentioned, 
just I quickly went through that, but I was thinking about it all week. In fact, I shared these thoughts with the pastor this week as well. This this uh, this uh, sense of love and respect and bonding together, as wonderful as it is, is what I would call a double-edged sword. What I mean is, it's a blessing. It's it's great. Back in 60, 62 A.D., there weren't a lot of churches to go to. So when there were Christians around, other Christians seemed to get to know them. They were a real minority at that time. And, uh, you know, seeing the Jesus Revolution, which I saw a few weeks ago, reminded me that it, prior to that, if anyone could had lived in those days or can think back in those, those church history, the, the Jesus Revolution, let me just say this, changed everything. It changed everything. It changed music. It changed style of preaching. It sta- changed ch- uh, style of church attire for which everyone said amen. Uh, it opened up the doors of the church to receive people from all walks of life. And that's wonderful. It's, of course, we praise God for that. But between 1970 and now, there's been such an explosion of churches, which is great on the one hand. It's just that this type of principle is hard to uh, put into a situation like that. I mean, there's some churches that are running 1,000, 2,000, 20,000 people. How do you have fellowship with everybody? It's impossible to do. So those churches break it down. They have other associate pastors that oversee different segments and so forth. But what I, what I want to say, in Haverhill, there's probably about 40 churches and some are really good evangelical churches. There's a few Pentecostal churches. There's a lot of uh, uh, liberal churches. And there's some cult, cultic churches as well. And so now, when, when this situation happens, when we read the instructions in the Word of God, the biblical precedent, or the biblical pattern, um, we build relationships with people. And usually, typically, in my experience, everyone following me here? You with me? You tracking with me? See, what's what's the greatest thing is when someone leaves to go to do another ministry, and we've had plenty of that over the last ten or fifteen years. We would send some of the college students out, different people that felt led to be involved in a ministry. But the other side of that coin is sometimes people just simply leave because they want to. The sheep want to graze in a different pasture. Not to do ministry, just to be somewhere else. And I said last week, uh, after 30 years of ministry, I have trouble navigating those waters. But then I thought about it. It's been on my mind all week. And really, uh, I think the expression would be, nowadays, not so much 25, 30 years ago, but nowadays, pastors and ministers are kind of being led to hold the reins a little loosely, a little less tight. Give people some breathing space because some of the church members may want to go somewhere else. And it would be wrong for me or anybody to say, you can't go there. You don't belong to me. You belong to God. And this is God's church. It just puts a different dynamic in the, in the, in the situation for people like me that were brought up in the faith in the 70s and 80s when we were taught differently. But now I see, I, I realize we live in a different church culture. And it's all good. It's just different for somebody like me. 
So I'm thankful for the Jesus revolution. And that's why I say the Jesus revolution is still happening. Look at this morning. All these people gave their hearts to Jesus. It's wonderful. So I want to encourage the church as we get into this this morning. Um, you know, we, we hold, I mean, we have church membership. I encourage you to come to church, go to the live stream. I encourage fellowship in the body. But in the back of my mind, I'm realizing Somebody may just say, you know what, I think I'm going to go somewhere else. And we have to allow that to happen, is what I'm saying. As difficult that, that, as that might be, especially when you pour in to someone for year after year after year, for 10, 15, 20 years or whatever. It's, it's, uh, it's a, I don't want to say it's a tough pill to swallow. I mean, I, listen, I'm bearing my soul here. I felt bad when we commissioned a, a young couple here several years ago to start their church up in Georgetown or somewhere over there. I felt good, but I felt bad that we were losing them. That's me. Not that I would hinder that, but just personally, I want everyone to stay here. I want one big happy family, but I realize it doesn't work like that. So I'm glad to send people out to do what they feel God's calling them to do. It just changes the dynamic of the church. So as I was sharing with the pastor this week, I said, you know, the church at large is no pun intended, it's larger, it's bigger. The church is bigger. There's more people involved. But maybe not as deep spiritually as we would like people to be because there's a lot of floating around. Not like, not, not like it was you know, prior to, I don't know, prior to the 70s or 80s. But anyway, this message is all about Paul's great love for the church. Um, his commitment to the church and the church's commitment back to him. So we're going to look at a few things. And I want to, I want to close the sermon by, by giving you some things to pray for, for the saints, for the things that the saints need to be prayed for. I've entitled the message today, A Prayer for the Saints. So we're going to go verse by verse, and then we'll make some application. Are you with me still? Amen. All right. So starting at verse number seven, uh, now verse number seven is really on the tail end of verses three, four, five, and six. Verses three through seven is really uh, one, actually down to verse number eight, it's one large sentence with a lot of detail, a lot of information in it. If you look back quickly in verse, verses three, four, and five, uh, Paul is thanking God for the Philippian church. He's praying with joy for them. He's thankful for the fellowship in the gospel with them. He's confident that God who started the work in them will be faithful to complete the work in them because uh, God is faithful. And, and Paul knows that they were willing to, to stay on that potter's wheel to let God finish the work that he started. So he says in verse number seven, just as I believe that it's, I have confidence that God will continue the work, it's right for me to think this way about you all. It's, it's right, it's the proper way to think, because God will continue, because you are willing to continue with God. And it's a proper thought process. I know God, I know you. You're in my heart. I know God is working in you. You're letting God do that. And then Paul says in verse 7, he says, I'm in my chains and I'm defending the gospel and confirming the gospel here in prison. But you are knit together with me. You're partakers of the grace of God with me. Even though you're not here physically, you're with me spiritually. See, to me, that says something really great about the church. It's a strong connection. Now, Paul wasn't as 
uh, amicable or, or, or loving towards, say, the church in Corinth or the church in, uh, in Rome. He has some things to say about instruction. This church, he was really pouring out love and respect and honor, thanking God for their, their togetherness in the gospel. If you look over at chapter 2, verse 25, he says, uh, I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier, but your messenger. Epaphroditus was like a, uh, a vessel that God used. The Philippians sent him to Paul to minister to Paul up in Rome, and Paul's now sending him back to the church of Philippi. That's how close they were, how, how concerned they were about each other. Paul says, he's my brother, my fellow worker, and my soldier, but I'm releasing him to minister back to you. In chapter 4, in verse number 14, uh, Paul says this, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now, you Philippians, verse 15, you know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. And so he's just saying they were knit together in love and purpose in serving God, serving each other, trying to win the lost, trying to stay on top of everything. To me, that's a great formula for any church in any age. Now, this is what I'm saying. I, I wish every 40 churches in Haverhill had the same thing going on in those churches. It would be wonderful if that were the case. I often say, you know, when I think of 40 churches, you, you have to understand some are preaching the gospel and some are not. And then I say, does Haverhill or does any community in America look like there's 40 churches in it? And what would that look like if there were 40 Bible-believing, preaching churches in every city of this size? I think it would change the culture of the city. I really do. Anyway, so, so verse number 7, he says, I have you in my heart, and you're with me in my chains and in my defense of the gospel. You partake of this grace with me in this fellowship of the gospel. He's just pouring out his heart. He, he's... He's affirming them. He's affirming his love for them, his appreciation for them. Verse number eight, I would paraphrase it by saying, well, if you don't believe me, I'm telling you, God is my witness. I really do care about you. I love you. I, I think of you. I, 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 you have me, I, you're in my heart. I want the best for you. In fact, in chapter two, verse 17, if you just go over there real quick, Paul says, uh, yes, I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. I'm glad. I rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be, should be glad and rejoice with me. But he's saying, I'm a drink offering for you. That's an Old Testament phrase, that they would pour out a drink over the offering as an aroma. And Paul's at the end of his life in prison. My, my life is being poured out as a blessing to you. Because of your sacrifice, I'm adding to that. It's a sweet aroma to the Lord. To me, that's great togetherness and unity within the church. So I see this as, as like a, a, a prototype of how churches should be. And that doesn't mean we have to be extra large or extra small. Whatever church there is, there should be a camaraderie among the people of God. I always say this, you know, um, if we're going to spend eternity together, we might as well start getting along now. And when you see somebody in market basket, don't go down the other aisle. Go down there and say hello. Come on. 
You know how that is. So, anyway, this reminds me of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I think to the Ephesians, Paul was trying to teach them something that the Philippian church knew. He says to the Ephesians in chapter 4, he says, uh, there's, only, there's only one body. There's only one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. And uh, this God is, he goes on to say, this God is our God. So in a sense, we could say, and I, I do this actually, with other believers in our community of like faith, they're my brothers and sisters. We're not competing, we're serving God together. If we're competing, we have a problem. But the attitude is, God is our leader. God is our father. We're all servants of the Lord. And so there's different pastors, leaders, and so forth, and people. But we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. When I feel people pulling away and doing their own thing, I get a little nervous about that. Because I realize what the scripture says, we are all one body in Christ. So, okay, so verse number 8. Uh, God is my witness, how greatly I long for you with the affection of Jesus Christ. He's saying, I don't just long for you like a man to man type of thing or person to person. I long for you the way with the affection of Jesus. I love you like Jesus loves you. Uh, And he loves unconditionally. He loves faithfully. He loves deeply. I love you like that. And God is my witness. I have you in my heart. And then he says in verse number nine, he goes on, he says, it says, just to paraphrase, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Uh, I, I, I'm praying that your love, as great as, as it is, may abound still more and more. And let, let me just put a plug in for early morning prayer. I don't know if you got up early this morning to pray. Now that the time has changed, it's dark again in the morning. I said, oh, is this the right time? I don't know. It doesn't seem right out here. I was getting used to the light early in the morning. But anyway, I hope that you're praying in the morning. I hope that you're making time, whatever you could do. If you can't pray in the morning, like some people tell me I can't pray in the morning, don't pray in the morning. Pray whenever you can. Just pray. But I like early morning personally. I I shared that with you. Sometimes prior to this uh, exercise, um, a day would go by and I was, oh man, I didn't pray. And I would pray at the end of the day and it, I felt funny doing that. Anyway, I like praying early in the morning. So anyway, he's praying that their love would grow even deeper for God, for the church, for people. How many of you know that is a great thing to pray for? If you ever never know what to pray for, for the church, pray that we would love God more and love people more, love each other more. Uh, and then he gets more distinct. You know, he gets, he, he says, uh, I, I pray that your love would increase or abound or run over. Like in Luke 6, when, when Jesus was teaching, he said, you know, give your love away, give grace away, give mercy away, give your clothes away. And, and give, 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 it'll be given back to you, right? Measure by measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will flow out of your heart. So he's saying, you know, pray, praying for you to have love, love, love. But pray, uh, he's praying that they would have love with knowledge, that they would know God's plan in the love, what to do, where to go, how to do what you're doing with purpose, with direction, with deliberation. Love can't just be, you know, without boundaries. It's got to be focused. There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians 5 where it says, um, the love of God has constrained us, has put us together to be purposeful and to be effective in what we do. 
You know the, the story of the, the stallion, the horse that's wild, and, and uh, he, he's beautiful, but he's of absolute no good to anybody because you could never ride him or get him to do any work for you. And what they would do in the old days, so I've been told, I never did it myself, so don't quote me on it, but they would dig a big hole and fill the hole with water. And it would be all muddy and murky and ugly. And they get somehow get the horse to go in there and his struggles, wild flurry going on, he would be broken. And when he was broken, he was effectively used for their purposes, whatever it was. We're the same way. We're a bunch of wild horses But the love of God constrains us so that now we're focused and we could do a work for the Lord. But it says, I'm praying for you to have love, but you have love with knowledge. And also that you would have love with discernment or with judgment. In other words, you would have love with moral clarity. That you would know and sense God's best for you and for the situation. How you walk, how you think, what you do. I'm praying that you go deeper still in the things of God. That's really important, church. Verse number 10. I'm praying this way so that, verse number 10, so that you may approve the things that are excellent. That's a, that's a nice phrase. I had to think about what that really meant. But I, what he means is I, I'm praying for you to love and to love with knowledge and discernment so that you'll be able to discern and accept the good things of God. That you'll be able to ascertain what is of God and what's not of God. So the love working in you will direct you in the right way to, to comprehend, to understand the things of God. In verse number 10 it says, so that you'll, be, you'll stand without offense when the Lord comes back. So verse 6 and verse 10 talk about the Lord coming back. This was like the bottom line of what Paul's talking about which should be our bottom line too. Everything we're doing is in light of the fact that, guess what? Jesus is coming back. And most, a lot of people think it's going to be any day now because the world is crazy. I don't know, but I'm just saying Jesus is coming back. And that's our motivation to get things right, get things good with God. So, verse number 10. He's he's praying for them so that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. Probably what was happening as they were trying to figure out the will of God, some people might have been getting offended. He's saying, I'm going to pray for you to have great love and sensitivity and knowledge and discernment so that you don't offend anybody in what you're doing. You might be right, but you're still hurting people. You know, being right is not a license to hurt people, but I'm praying that you'll not offend anyone when Jesus comes back. So verse number 11 says, uh, then being filled in the process of all this, you're being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. He's saying, I'm praying that you get it right, that you're filled with God's love and discernment so that fruits of righteousness will come out of your life. I'm praying that for this church, that fruits of righteousness would come out of this fellowship. Good things would come out of this fellowship. In the process of love and prayer and knowledge and discernment, the fruits of righteousness, here's a good word for you, a holy disposition. Now, some dispositions are not so holy. And sometimes we go there when we don't want to be like that, but we are, and it's not a good place to be. But let's pray for a holy disposition, just in general, just in life, 
Let's pray for holiness in life. Let's pray for uh, uh, holy words, holy thoughts, holy motives, holy actions. And that we would be, you know, filled, again, from Luke 6, filled, overflowing, spilling out of the fruits of righteousness. And I, when I think of fruits of righteousness, I automatically think of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Galatians 5. Which come by Jesus Christ, right? Doesn't he say that in verse 11? Which, all, which are by Jesus Christ. You can't get these fruits of righteousness any other way. The only way you're going to get them is by abiding, living in the word. And let Christ's character come out of you, verse number 11, to the glory and praise of not yourself. It's never about ourselves. It's to the glory and praise of God. He's saying that. So, yeah, Paul has them in his heart. He's, he's praying and just trusting God that they're going to do some great things for the kingdom. So anyway, verses 7 through 11, we see a standard, a pattern uh, of seeing the glory of God at work in the church. And, and let me just say one other thing. All those dear people that came up here, the scripture says when a sinner repents, there's joy in heaven. Angels rejoice. We should, be, we should be rejoicing. If we just went home after that, it would have been all right, actually. But we should be rejoicing that people made peace with God and did it in our presence. We were, we were allowed to see it happen. This is a glorious thing. And see, we could easily just kind of forget that and go on to the next thing. I'm saying this is life-changing This is something we take into the next life. Hello? This is something we take into the next life. So so he's he's setting a standard. He's loving the church, loving people, loving the saints of God. Um, He's um, unashamedly declaring their relationship together. And they're praying for one another. They bear good fruits of righteousness. And so, I don't know. This is an interesting passage to me. I'm looking for... I'm looking for patterns or, or, or uh, the way it was in the early church days. And I, I will still go back to what Brother Monroe said a few weeks ago. He said this was a New Testament church. He said a lot of churches say they're New Testament churches, but they don't act like New Testament churches. What he meant was the gifts of the Spirit were in operation. Uh, worship was alive and God was moving. There was a response the word was preached and so forth. He preached the word that day. Anyway, I want to be a New Testament church. But when I see a New Testament church, this is what I'm looking at. I'm looking at a real sense of love and respect for people. I can't get around it. I can't get away from it. Does that mean everyone who ever comes here is going to stay here? No. But it does mean some people should come and stay. <laughs> That's what a church is. And you get committed. You get involved. You get plugged in. You get, you know, you get situated in your life. And maybe one day we'll send you and commission you out to do some great work for God. If you want to go down to the church down the street, we'll let you go. What can we say? But I just want to build up this church that God has entrusted into my care. That's it. All right. So. Okay, so I entitled the sermon, A Prayer for the Saints. I want to give you some things to pray about. Or to pray for the saints. And, and Paul gives us some good information here. But in, for instance, in Romans, Paul said, 
Uh, he's praying for them to be filled with hope and joy and peace. And that's not a bad thing to pray about. We should pray for each other to be filled with hope and joy and peace. To the Corinthians, Paul said, I'm praying for God's grace to be on you. Yeah, that's great too. To the Ephesians, he says, I'm praying that God would give you a spirit of revelation and wisdom and strength. Great things to pray for. To the Colossians, he said, I'm praying that you would have knowledge and spiritual wisdom and understanding. To the Thessalonians, he said, I'm praying that I would be able to visit you again. Again, there's the relationship aspect. To the Philippians, well, he's saying a couple of things here that I want to bring out in this sermon. So a prayer for the saints, understanding these are things that we need to be praying about for each other. These are things we need to be praying about for New Life Christian Assembly of God or any other church for the body of Christ. The first one is this. I alluded to it earlier when when we had the altar call. But we need to pray for an appreciation of each believer. I mean, really. I don't know if everyone knows everybody's story. I'm not saying be nosy. I'm not saying that. I'm saying to appreciate where people come from. And the fact that they're serving God, maybe they're serving God a little different than you or they express themselves a little different than you. Hey, you know what? That's secondary. The main thing is that they're serving God. And so uh, verse number five, if you look back, Paul said, I'm thankful for the fellowship in the gospel that we had from the very first day until now. Each person is valuable. Each person is worth Jesus dying for. Even those ones that you can't stand. Hello? Jesus died for those people. He died for me and you. We're all in the same boat. We're all lost without him. Who are we to judge somebody because we don't like where they come from or what they look like or whatever, how they act even. But he's thankful for the fellowship in the gospel from the very first day until now. And as I said, this is 25, 30 years down the line. So I mentioned a few things earlier. If you want to. In Acts chapter 16, just, just want to go up, go through this pretty quickly, but I just want you to see a few things. It was unusual. Paul in verse, Acts 16 verse, verse 12, Paul is in Philippi with his entourage. On the Sabbath day, they go to the riverside, the bank of the river where prayer was being offered, and they, be, they sat down and they began to speak with women who were gathered there. That was unusual. Men usually didn't interact with women that readily, but they they talked. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, was there worshiping God. What I'm getting at is there may be people here, I'm one of them, that were like Lydia in the sense, or like Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, that would worship God but not really know God. Does that make any sense? Because when Paul was speaking... The Lord opened up her mind and her heart and her spirit to to heed the things spoken by Paul. So she's worshiping God. People do worship God. A lot of people go to church. And they'll sing the songs and they'll do the thing. They'll, they'll, They'll honor the holy days or whatever. But not really know God. How many people like that are here? I, I, was, I was like that. I would worship God. I would sing and do all that. But I didn't know God. And so when they come in, we have to appreciate where they're coming from. And not only that, she was a seller of purple, meaning she was probably wealthy, well-to-do, dealing with the higher echelon of society. Listen, we can't discard the higher echelon around here either. They need to hear the gospel. 
They need to be saved just as, as much as the guy in the gutter. Amen. So I'm just saying, can we appreciate where people are coming from? And you may know people like Lydia that need to hear the gospel. And maybe they would never relate to me or somebody, but they would relate to you because you know them. You experience similar things as they do. If you look at uh, Acts 16, verse number 16, as Paul was preaching and and doing what he was doing, praying, uh, there was a certain slave girl possessed by an evil spirit, spirit of divination. Verse number 17, I kind of get a kick out of it because... uh, Uh, In verse number 18, she's saying to them, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaimed to us the way of salvation. And she did this for many days. Well, what she was saying was true. But she said it mockingly, apparently, because after several days, Paul was annoyed with her and cast out the spirit from her. And that girl was delivered. And I wonder how many people here have a history of, of dabbling in the wrong things. The occult, Wiccan, New Age, whatever. And how many people do you know that are still in that realm? We need to appreciate people and love them in to the kingdom of God. So someone may come in here with some New Age background, not knowing a lot of things. We need to love them through and help them get grounded in the things of God. Then, as I shared earlier, Acts 16, verse number 25, Paul and Silas are in prison. And they're doing something unusual. They're praying and singing praises to God as they're in prison. And as they're doing that, the earth quaked. And all the prisoners were released from their chains. And the guard who was there was ready to kill himself because he was to be held responsible if anyone escaped. He cries out and and Paul sees what's going on. And and he says, don't do it. We're all here. Don't, Don't do that. And the Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul told them, and he and his whole household were saved that day. I'm just saying, there's some people here that have gone through the the depths of darkness of soul. That have had nights you wish you never had. They were dark, they were evil. You thought of ending your own life. We need to appreciate those people that come in here and get right with God and get healed by God. At the same time, we need to be looking for people that are still in that mode out in the world. This is what church is for. The Lydia's of the world. The slave girls of the world. The Philippian jailers of the world. This is what church is all about. I'm saying we need to appreciate people. So that's our, our phrase, right? People grow at new life. People, all people. All different types of people. So we need to just appreciate you know, where people are coming from and embrace them and love them. Secondly, let me try to move along here. Uh, we need to pray that there would be unity in the church. Verses 7 and 8, Philippians 1, 7 and 8. Uh, Paul is saying, you're in my heart. Uh, I know I'm, I'm with you. You're, you're with me. We're all partakers of the grace. They weren't together physically, but they were together spiritually. And uh, I just want to reiterate what I said last week. Matthew eighteen twenty. Wherever two or more are gathered in his name, the name of Jesus, he is there with them. And so we gather every Sunday, every Sunday night with live stream, every Wednesday night and all these different meetings we have. But when we gather in his name, in his love, his respect, his concern for others, his blessing, his attributes, his guidance, his provision. You know, he, he is there in the midst of us. And in that, in that realm of 
Him being with us, there's a sense of unity. Psalm 133. You know the psalm, I'm sure you do. Oh, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the oil on Aaron's beard that flows down from his head to his beard to his garments. It's like the dew of Mount Hermon that flows from Mount Zion. In that setting of the oil and the water, based on unity, the Lord declares his blessing, life forevermore. See, when there's unity in the body of Christ, there's God's blessing and stamp of approval. Acts chapter 2, they were all in one accord, waiting for the Holy Spirit to fall. And so we need to have this concept of unity, having one heart, one mind, one soul, one purpose to serve God, to know God and to make him known in our community. Amen. All right. Number three is this. We need to pray that the saints would have would have a love an abounding love. Verses nine and ten. I mean, isn't that the bottom line of what church is supposed to be all about? A love, a respect for God and for one another. So if someone comes in here, I mean, what would we do if, if a Lydia came in here or a slave girl came in here or someone bound up with depression or anxiety or all these issues? What would we, how would we respond to that? I would hope that we would love them into the kingdom of God with knowledge, with discernment, not just a free-for-all, but love them in such a way that they would make their peace with God. John 13 Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love each other the way that I have loved you. All will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. We can't have too much love. 1 Corinthians 13, the greatest of these are faith, hope, and love. Uh, Abide in these, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Love is what will last. Sometimes Paul had a tough love. Sometimes he had a gentle love. Sometimes he would cast people out with a tough love. But he would love with discernment and, and, and a moral understanding. We can't love people so, so, so much that we let them stay in sin. That's not really love when you think about it. You love people enough to figure out a, a way to communicate the love of God to help them get out of their predicament that they're in and, and live a different life. But we need to pray for the saints to have a, an abounding love. And then the, the last thing is this. We need to pray a prayer for the saints. We need to pray that we saints would be filled with fruits of righteousness. Uh, one way to describe the fruits of righteousness is to describe the fruits of unrighteousness. And it would be just the opposite of that. So fruits of unrighteousness would be things like hate, pride, arrogance, self, me, 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 me. Um, immorality, flesh, um, a worldliness. Those are all unrighteous things. And so he's saying, have, have fruits of righteousness. Again, from Galatians 5, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. In John 15, 4, Jesus said this. He said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. So we can, we can abide in Jesus and produce fruits of righteousness. That's what a church should be known for. Not 
bickering, not prejudices, not arguing and all that stuff, but fruits of righteousness. So in conclusion, just wrap it up here. A prayer for the saints based on Philippians 1, 7 through 11. We need to appreciate each other and love each other. We need to have unity among, among the saints. We need for love to abound and to even increase. And we need the fruits of righteousness to be displayed. See, this, these qualities will make this place inviting for people. It'll be a hub of spiritual healing and blessing. It'll be filled with life and hope and purpose. This morning during worship, I felt that. I felt life and hope and purpose in this room because God was here. And so I commission you, church, now to begin to appreciate one another. And what that means is get to know people. Spend some time together if you can. Think about unity, uniting in the important things. You know, think about loving, abounding in love for one another. And think about what your fruit, what your life is showing on the outside. Is it fruit of righteousness or unrighteousness? So I'm going to be praying for that for this church. I'm going to add that to my list every morning, that we would be a church that has these qualities going on. And I think if we pray for that, God's going to hear us and God's going to do something. And what I think is, see all these empty chairs? I think they're all going to be filled up with people. Who wouldn't want to come to a place like that? I think, I think we all know enough people. I don't mean from other churches. Everyone could stay where they are. I mean people that don't go to church. People in our families that need to know God. People we work with. People that work up at Market Basket, for goodness sakes. People that just need God. I think they would come if we pray along those ends. Let's stand together if we can. I want to close by reading verses 9 and 10. I believe it's on the screen up there. Wow. It's been a good day today. A lot going on here. Don't forget, anyone that needs to get baptized, please let me know. You know, it doesn't take much to put it together. We'll do it as soon as possible. If anyone needs a a, a little follow-up book, if you uh, said that prayer earlier, please see me. I'll give you some information. Anyway, verses 9 and 10. Can we say it together? And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. One more time. In this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Speaking of uh, fellowship, um, there's going to be a lunch today after church at the Tawa Tandoor Indian Food, that away on the left, just past the light up there, the second light. 
all are welcome to join. I just got the, in, the info right here. <laughs> so everyone got that? Anyone that wants to go out to... I mean, I, I don't know who's, who's treating. <laughs> now everyone's on your own. But anyway, we'd love to have some fellowship with you at the Indian restaurant, right, right on 125. Go through that light, the next light, make that right, and it's on the left-hand side. Let's pray. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for this fellowship, Lord. We pray that we could implement some of the things that Paul is talking about uh, as far as unity and, and caring for one another, showing real concern for one another. Lord, let those principles uh, begin to percolate to a higher level. And uh, may your Holy Spirit just create in us a, a heart for you and a, and a passion for you. Let this place be exactly what you want it to be. Lord, thank you. For all those that came forward earlier this morning, we pray blessings over them again in the name of Jesus. We pray, Lord, that the seeds of faith that were planted right there would not get eaten or stolen or destroyed in any manner, but that they would grow deeper and deeper and deeper, and that we would see lives transformed because of what happened earlier. And so, Lord, uh, we thank you for this day. This has been a busy day in my, in my mind. I think a lot of things were happening today. But, Lord, as we leave this place, some for fellowship, bless our afternoon. Bring us back together on the live stream tonight as we pray together. And may your blessing be upon this week as well. So we thank you and we praise you for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen and amen. All right. We all see you at the restaurant.